The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. This is Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm very happy to welcome you to the Visual Workplace on this afternoon. So, the Visual Workplace. We've been talking about the Visual Workplace for almost oh, a year and a half now, and for uh, and about smart placement for well, the last. This is the eighth show. In every one of our weekly shows, we want to talk about some aspect of letting the workplace speak, of embedding the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices so we can work with focus and precision and high safety and pace so our company can make good profit margins, increasingly good profit margins, not just profit, but margin, margin for investment, margin to grow, margin to save. Okay, good, increasingly good profit margins. And so we can enjoy ourselves around, uh, along the way. The visual workplace, a living, intelligent workplace, and the intelligence that we embed in our operational system is our own intelligence, but it is also an extension of our understanding of the visual methodology. That visuality in and of itself, at least as I have explored and developed it over these now over 30 years, teaches us how to use the physical landscape intelligently and how to make visible or make sensorial, make evident our use of that landscape. We are embedding our use, our intelligent use. If you will, we're understanding, if you want to use this kind of language, the ecology of our operational system and we are embedding that ecology, that balance, that precision, that elegance, that beating heart into the landscape of work. When we talk about 5S, we talk about the visual aspects of that. We, I call it operator-led visuality work that makes sense. When we talk about the supervisory role, we talk about making that role embedded and not only embedded, but making it owned by, owned by supervisors. So we don't just tell supervisors what to do, as I see happening, although it's the right step forward, it is a step forward, but by giving them standard work. While that's a very, very important way of putting boundaries around what 
should and shouldn't be the roles of supervisors and managers. That's not the same thing as the managers and supervising supervisors using frameworks to advance their own work, to advance their work, to advance their corporate contribution. You know, for me, and we'll be spending several shows on this after we get past this very long um, journey through visuality, through workplace visuality on the operator level, through what you may call 5S and I call visual order, we'll be looking at the supervisory role and amplifying the I of the supervisor, the I as in the individuality, the sovereign internal aspect of the supervisor, which is really what we're harnessing when we talk about harnessing the strength of the workforce. We say our people are our most important asset. Well, that may appear to be so, but how do you operationalize it? That may be an important slogan that... Um, Sounds like you mean it, but how do you make how do you make it meant? How do you really mean it? How do you operationalize it? So what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks by gum is smart placement. Smart placement is a piece. It is the ramp up to operator visuality. If you're doing 5S, you can add this piece very comfortably and easily between, uh, let's see, sort through, you would say, scrub or shine, and then hopefully it would be set things in order and not simplify, but you may have simplify fine. But somewhere in set things in order, what is the logic of setting things in order? It doesn't mean just putting it in place, in its old place or a place or a close place. It means looking at the function of that item and placing it in relationship to the other functions in the workplace in order to create an intelligent flow. I call that smart placement. And we've been talking about this for the last eight shows. I have just a couple of announcements. I'll get out of the way really fast because I want to complete today and there are a number of fish that I have to fry, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Uh, I I did tell you about Kindle. We did hit a hiccup in getting my visual workplace, visual thinking out on Kindle. I believe we cleared that up yesterday. Work That Makes Sense is available now on Kindle. It's going to be on print on demand any second now. We hit some snafus there. Have I ever told you one of my favorite little slogans? It's this. It's the start that stops us. Hmm? I've been experiencing that a lot in the last couple of weeks. It's the start that stops us. So we have this big plan. And you know what? I was supposed to get you smart, simple design back in December, but it's that start that has stopped us. So it's coming. It's coming soon. You know, we are grateful for every inch forward that we move, and that we move forward together is even more miraculous. So we're just in a state of constant gratitude, especially when we get stopped, because if we're not in gratitude, then we're flailing about blaming people. So uh, I've been, I have a lot, a lot of opportunity to practice that of late, and I'm very, very grateful for those opportunities. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So Kindle is coming out. Print on Demand is coming out. We'll get all my other books out. I think it'll take us probably another three or four months because that's just the way it is. And I want to thank you so much for your emails. We're going to try to organize a panel. We have three people for one panel already organized. We're looking for a third person on another panel 
the first panel we think is going to be on 5S traditional versus amplified 5S so you guys can talk about it and we can talk about it together and you will call in and add your two and three and four cents worth so that we have a really uh, rich discussion. There are 50, 70,000 of you listening to me every month and your voices, I want to hear your voice and we want to hear your voice. Okay, so this is an opportunity. This show is as much yours as mine. All you have to do is grab it. You can call in today. This is a live show. We can just make whatever was supposed to happen today, finish up the next time. I'm completely flexible. Or we can have these special shows where you call in. But I want your voices because you're the guys who are doing it out there. And all you have to say is you write into radio at visualworkplace.com and you say, I want to be a voice. I want to be a voice for visuality in the utilities industry. I want to be a voice for visuality in the hospital industry. I want to be a voice of 5S. I want to tell you about my successes. I want to tell you about my failures. They're just temporary, but, you know, this is what it felt like. Okay? So please join us, and we'll try to organize those things. Uh, Right now, there's a lot of dust in the air because we have so many competing projects competing for our precious time and sleep competing for the rest of it. But we'll, you know, we're muddling along and we're getting there. And I want to also thank you for the several wonderful letters saying how much you appreciate this show. It, it really touches me very deeply, and I couldn't be happier to hear your words of praise. Also, a few of you have been asking for the handouts that we've promised, and we gladly share them with you. So let's continue with our Smart Placement, and let's conclude the series. Remember that what we're doing in Smart Placement is we're recognizing that the function of location is what matters and is what creates flow. It creates the direction, the speed, and the complexity of the flow. And that flow is really the flow of work. It's the flow of work into, through, and out of our work area. And before we start laying down borders and addresses, we better make sure that that those locations are smart locations so that we can maximize the borders and the addresses by not overlooking that which cannot be seen initially unless you're looking for it. And that is the placement of the things that we will be bordering and giving an address to. Last week, as we were moving, as we are now moving through our 14 principles, we got to principle 9, 10, and 11. Principle 9, do major and minor sorts, sort the universe, nested bowls, those kitchen bowls of bright colors, they all have the same function, but they are importantly different. Principle 10, co-locate items of similar application designed to task. Very, very powerful way of pre-organizing your tasks and your tools to pick up speed but also precision to take the struggle out of work. And Principle 11, which we talked about at the end of the show, one of our several double-up visual applications, use the existing architecture. Use that which exists to do something further. And remember I talked about John Pacheco from United Electric Controls that he used a parts bench. He took a a shelf, a metal shelf out of a parts bench, put a wooden moving shelf in, same same shelf, 
only now it was wooden. It was on brackets. He could move it back and forth. And he co- and he collated, located all his paperwork items on that, on that uh, 20 or 30 inch by 12 inch or 18 inch little uh, drawer. And he moved the value to him, the value field to him when he needed to, and he moved it out of his value field when he didn't need to do his paperwork. And he used the existing architecture. How brilliant was that? Brilliant, brilliant use. And Frank Mulder, who was using his forklift side mirrors, I'm sorry, side windows to hold in a transparent format to hold some vital bits of information. In so many, so many important ways, he was making a little center of excellence out of his forklift. You can do this. You can make it happen. So these were wonderful applications. We have now our next three and our final three um, <laughs> principles. <laughs> the Final three of the 14 principles of smart placement. And they focus on opportunities that are hidden in thin air. What is meant by negative space and how do you turn it positive? For example, and that comes to us in the first principle we're going to be discussing, which is called store things, not air. And we're going to go through the final two. That's that's the number 11. We're going to do... I'm sorry, that's number 12. We'll do 13 and 14. And then we're going to talk globally about um, basically what smart placement is about in terms of utilizing what you learned by applying these principles. So let's begin with this wonderful principle called store things, not air. Okay? So store things, not air has to do with a completely un- noticed part of the physical work environment and that is the air itself the vertical space the space under things the space that is not utilized unless that space is making a contribution to the corporation i call it negative space and by applying the principle store things not air we can turn that negative space that is costing the company money into a positive space. For example, what maintenance department ever has enough room? Not many of them. But if we look closer, we might notice unused space in some unexpected places. For example, when visual thinkers at Denison Hydraulics, visual thinkers who worked in the maintenance department, were looking for negative space. They noticed a wide open white wall above the entryway, wasn't doing anything. It was like 30 feet high, lots and lots of, of uh, open space above, and it was just blank. And the thought was, why not use that space for something instead of for nothing? Why not apply the store things, not air principle of smart placement to it? And so they gathered up the pulleys and the coils that had been in this corner and that corner, and they made a hall, a home for them on the wall. They posted them on the wall. They made some metal hooks and racks. They put numbers on each hook. They put a little um, checklist on a clipboard down below that was in easy reach, and they told you which pulley was in what space, which coil was in which pl- space, and they turned the whole thing positive. 
They made that space make a contribution. And they also had a very excellent way of organizing their coils and their pulleys. That's what we mean, that kind of conversion. For example, I remember a cabinet that I saw at Nautobahm Trailers. This cabinet did not have doors, so it was following the smart placement principle, no doors, no drawers. But the inside space was maximized for effectiveness by replacing two of the deep shelves by a single slanted shelf, and on this slanted shelf were the tools. So there were still parts on the shelf that were lying flat, and there were other implements lying on a flat shelf. But the top two shelves were removed, and instead was put this long shelf that was slanted, and it was installed at a slant, and the tools were there presented ergonomically and visibly instead of just sitting on a flat shelf. What a fabulous application. And I'm going to tell you more after the break. This is one of my favorite. You know, I love all the smart placement principles. And is this my favorite? Well, today it's my favorite. I love this principle, and I think you'll find the examples very useful. So I'll see you in just a minute. Please come back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the second part of our show where we're finishing up the 14 principles of smart placement. I'm currently on principle number 12, store things, not air. And we're talking about how to change negative space, space that's not being used, not making a contribution to the corporate good, how to turn that into positive space, how to utilize it. And it takes a kind of reverse thinking. First, you have to notice that there is excess air. First, you have to notice that there are big pockets, big spaces that are assumed to be okay because they're empty. And in many cases, that's true and useful. 
But here's another example. Whenever you go into tall shelves, like you're in warehousing of some sort and you've got 30, 40 foot shelves, what about using the end caps? What about using the end of the shelving unit? Well, I saw an example of this in Packard Electric Warehouse in El Paso. That was fabulous. It was called Delphi at the time. It became Delphi. But what they did was they created pallet storage that was high enough off the floor to allow easy um, access in terms of uh, the forklift getting around. It didn't get in the way with the floor footprint at all. But they raised it. It was about uh, 7 to 10 feet up in the air, very well-braced sleeves that held wooden pallets. Instead of stacking them on the ground where they were going to get in the way and they were not going to be orderly, they made these little sleeves, these metal sleeves, and they put them at the end cap. They braced them with the right angle um, brace, and the forklift could just raise up and take some pallets, either store them there or take the pallets that they needed and utilize them, lower them. Fantastic use of negative space. You you didn't even realize that there was space to be utilized there until you saw the application of the principle. Here's another example. This will seem very modest to you, but it's my favorite amongst many favorites. So I saw a little blue bench, and I thought, oh, there's a good blue bench. And there was a little border around it that said something like, Rick's bench, don't touch. But underneath the bench was pure heaven. Underneath the bench, Rick had cut the the brace, which was a short bench, so it didn't need as much brace as actually was there to begin with. He had cut the bench brace underneath so that he could fit a little white bucket. He could fit it in like the center of an arc or an arch. And he had a little bit, a little white bucket for his gloves and his rags and it fit perfectly underneath this it's um, let's call it a stool rather than a bench so you get the size it's just something you sit on if you're working on your machine or you're you're um you're doing something close to the floor you don't want to sit on the floor it's a little stool and underneath was this white bucket perfectly suited and here you have the essence of the principle store things not air this the space underneath that that blue stool was not making any contribution to the company but what rick did was utilize that space make it make a contribution and he did something else at the same time he saved the space that he would have used for his white bucket of rags and, and gloves and that space was free to be used for something else hmm? you may think of this as a modest application but I think of it as elegant uh, elegant on the first order and there's a second aspect of store things not air and that's called squeeze the air out and I remember hazmat cabinet. Well, we saw both. We store, we saw store things not air. We saw that because there were some, um, uh, 10W40s and some other lubricants that were stored in this hazmat cabinet. And you needed some vertical height in order to pull these, um, 
these uh, canisters out of their resting place. But right alongside, there was a double story of grease-off, little yellow buckets, double story. Instead of just having one, somebody noticed, you know, I could have one, but what about the space above it? This slides in and out. Why don't I fit another? It fit perfectly. Store things, not air. But at the bottom shelf of this hazmat cabinet, you saw that they had built up a metal kind of buffer that squeezed out the air because at the bottom were some chemicals, three containers, and they wanted to squeeze out all the extra air so that nothing else could fit there. And they did that simply by welding a little 12-inch metal plate at the bottom. It squeezed out the excess air, and as a result, that shelf at the bottom was used, had an exclusive use, or what we call designed to task. It was designed for a particular task, a particular use, and by squeezing the air out, we made sure it wasn't contaminated with the kinds of things that we throw in if there's undesignated space and we're just trying to put stuff away. Isn't that fabulous? Really fabulous. Fantastic smart placement thinking. Easy retrieval, safe retrieval, excellent use of space. And I want to give you one more example. Actually, I have two more examples. The SNES example about squeezing the air out is so fabulous. It was done by Susan Heater and Lucy Manley, who are expert assemblers at Vibeco Vibrators in Rhode Island. And they wanted to go further in the 5S effort, even though they had done traditional 5S and hadn't yet learned about my approach. They found out, and I will tell you, they eavesdropped when I was talking to somebody one day. I was walking across the floor with um, with uh, uh, someone at Vibeco, and I was saying, you know, here's an example of where you could use smart placement. And I was talking to them about squeezing out the air on these shelves that had few things on it like um, Vibratite or Loctite, you know, just one or two bottles of things that didn't use the full depth of the metal shelf. And, and, you know, I was pointing out, the problem is you only need a little bit of space. You still need that space. But what about all the space in between? Your little Loctite is going to fall over or you're going to put too much Loctite. You're going to be carrying inventory. And so you know what they did? They took these empty shipping boxes and they built up the space from behind so that only one Loctite container would fit. And they did that with all of these small items instead of loading up this 10 inch deep shelf with supplies that they didn't need or leave it unoccupied to collect things that didn't belong they backfilled each shelf with these empty packing boxes so that only the quantity they wanted could fit that's great visual thinking it's fantastic Squeeze the air out. You can do the same thing when if you put a little cap on top of your um, uh, of your shelving, uh, where you don't want people to put things at to- on the top, you squeeze the air out by making it impossible for them to set anything on top by using a little cap. And of course, that's our nothing on top principle as well. Okay, so this is a great, great principle of smart placement. And for those of you who are thinking, how can I use that? We've already got things in order. You just spend a month. You just say. You know what? April's going to be store things, not air month. Store things, not air or squeeze the air out month. Let's spend a month looking for these opportunities. And you can reward that. You can give, 
you know, this is the best idea, the most creative idea, this is the most many ideas, the most number of ideas. And you just use these principles to stimulate further interest in going further on the operator level. If you want to say with your 5S, that's fine. Or if you want to do work that makes sense, then going further. Make all month of it. Same thing with double up the function. Now, I'm going to say a lot more about this principle 13, double the function, when we get to borders. But I'm going to say a little bit about it now and then probably really amplify it when we get to double when we get to borders, because right now um, there are several things that I want to make sure to accomplish in this last show of Smart Placement. But doubling up the function means to defy, in this case, to defy the laws of gravity or the laws of physics that say two physical objects cannot occupy the same physical spot. But in fact, did you know that you could have double up borders? You could have a set of borders going one way and right on top of it or right below it on the same two-dimensional space, a, a border that goes the other way. Hmm? Did you know that? You can do it and because you're utilizing the space differently or you're utilizing it in a different order, a different sequence, we see this again and again and again. In one case, we saw a double border function created by Gary, who worked at Fleet Engineers of the FB27 cell, and he wanted a way to know when a mud flap, because that's what they were making there, a mud flap model that was coming down the line had changed model. He wanted to get his tools ready. And this was like 50, 60, maybe 70 feet away from him. He wanted to be able to see it at a glance. So he asked the guys up there where the material was delivered, hey, guys, do you mind if I um, make a placement that's a double border placement? We didn't actually have that word for it at the time. It came only with his invention, and then it stuck. So that I can see by the placement of material that we've moved from Model A to Model B. And they said, oh, sure, great. And it was done just for him because he already had control over his corner of the world through his application of visuality, but now he wanted to master master the process. Maybe a double border function could help you in your work. Think about it. And I'm going to give you one more example before we go into our break. And I love this. This is at Nautobahn Trailers. So I want you to imagine a big outside border Let's just say it's square and a much smaller inside border. Let's also say it's square. And let's say that the outside border is solid orange and the inside border is a dashed orange. When I discovered this, when I saw the application sitting in the inside dashed orange border, the smaller one, was what's called an axle assembly or a bogey assembly, the axle and the hubs for um, for the wheels, a wheel assembly, wheel and axle subassembly, was sitting in there. And I looked at that double border because I saw the border on the outside, I saw the border on the inside, and I thought, what the heck is that? And I looked and I looked, and I walked away, I came back a few hours later, and I looked and I looked, determined not to ask Victor. Victor was the guy, he was very, very smart and very funny. And I thought, I can figure this out myself. And finally, I realized I couldn't. And I went to Victor, and I said, Victor, I don't get it. 
What is this double border function? But remember, the double border was there only to capture the thinking that happened in smart placement, which is how to get maximum use out of the space by doubling up the function, just the way Gary had done with his double border function for the mud flap assemblies. He found what was then first of the kind, first on the planet. I know this didn't exist. I know he invented it. And now I'm looking at Victor's and I'm seeing the result of his thinking in borders. But the thinking happened first and I said, Victor, I don't get it. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, Gwendolyn, we're very short on space back here in this chassis welding area. And we were desperate until we began to think about this double up on, on function. And we realized we could use the same space for different work content. And this is the way it works. Sometimes we have a lot, a lot of material that's delivered, and we use the big border on the outside for that. And sometimes we have a little, the small footprint of the bogey assembly. It was a fixture holding about four or five bogey axle assemblies. So sometimes we have a lot, sometimes we have a little, but we never have a lot and a little at the same time. We never have a lot and a little at the same time. So we can use the same space. Now that is smart. That is really smart. And they did. They used the same. The small border inset when they had a little, the big border outset was unused at that time because the work sequence was such. So you look at your work content, you look at your work sequence, see if you can use the same physical space. This is smart placement thinking. Instead of parallel space, where everything is laid out like somebody's table, instead of laying it out for smart, smart work. Fantastic application. Sometimes we have a lot, Sometimes we have a little, but we never have a lot and a little at the same time. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Isn't this fabulous? Fabulous thinking. Fabulous thinking human beings. Fabulous smart placement thinking. So, we'll go to principle 14 at the end, uh, at the, at, at the, uh, when we come back from this break and then we'll talk about how to put these ideas together into a real change. I'll be here when you get back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. 
Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hello again. Hi, this is Gwendolyn, and this is the third part of our show to get today on Smart Placement. We just finished our discussion of Principle 13, Double Up the Function, and I told you excitedly about sometimes we have a lot, sometimes we have a little, but we never have a lot and a little at the same time. I could keep saying that forever. It's like poetry to me. And now we're going to move on to Principle 14. I have a great little case study to tell you about that. And then we'll talk about how to use these ideas. So principle 14, which is the last of our 14 principles of smart placement, is called, and you know, I made up this terminology myself. Some of the um, terminology like point of use, nothing on top, not, nothing on the floor. Yes, we inherited from lean. But these others, which I saw as applications that deserved to be surfaced into principles because they were so powerful, I had to find a way of describing them, use the existing architecture. And here's one, follow the natural flow line. And we opened our discussion of this second set of smart placement principles, 8 through 14, by saying that these were more abstract principles. They had to do with flow on a more macro level rather than the micro things of point of use, etc. So this fourth principle pretty much echoes that idea of let the flow do the work, but we're going to be more precise about it. You and I both know that very little in life happens at right angles. In the same way, right angles are not a requirement of a sound layout design at work. And right angles are certainly not required for smart placement. The truth is, right angles can often cause motion, the name of our enemy, moving without working, instead of reducing or removing it. Instead, we say, follow the natural flow line. Position function based on their actual use. And then you capture that by the borders. But the thinking comes first. Creating the correct link between two functions is the thinking part. And then you capture that relationship with these kind of odd angle borders. You've seen them. And if you see nothing but right angles, you know that somebody is doing cookie cutter 5S and that nobody is going to care about this. That it's not owned because it's not functional. Nothing, not everything needs to look like a bento box. B-E-N-T-O, a bento box. You know, those little box with the compartments that the Japanese love to eat their lunches out of. I love to eat lunch out of them too. But I can't exactly use it as a floor plan. (laughs) 
So here's a little mini case study that will tell you more about this final and I think very, very powerful smart placement principle. We're at Denison Hydraulics in Hawaii. I'm sorry, in Ohio. In Hawaii. <laughs> in Ohio. Just down the street from... Um, the Honda plant. This is in Marysville, Ohio. It's a union-based environment, high-precision hydraulic pumps. So when Denison began, it, and it's now called Parker Hannafin uh, Hydraulics, I think, recently re- acquired by Parker Hannafin because of the great visuality. I'm certain about it. But anyway, when Denison began its improvement journey, there were piles of whip everywhere. They covered the production floor, just everywhere. And since the company had not begun with lean, these piles didn't go away. Instead, people learned through smart placement how to organize them so they could see the whips and categories of whip and weighting and whatever, and then they captured them in borders. And they moved ahead at a pace. And at one point, there were beautiful borders in place, gorgeous grids, neat and straight and orderly and at right angles, green for ready to go, yellow for waiting, orange for something else. They were crisp. They were beautiful. And they held a hidden problem, a problem that triggered motion. Can you imagine why? Well, frankly, none of us did. We were so proud of these beautiful grids. This is about 1996, 97. I was learning too. I didn't know what was waiting, what was coming up. But I'm a very good listener. And one day I came to the plant and I noticed something strange on one of the grids. I noticed that one of the green pickup grids had yellow stripes or borders on the lower corner. It was a corner. The aisles were yellow. The grid inside was green, beautiful grid for the pallets. And there were yellow stripes across the corner. And I went to Dorothy and Michael and I said, hey, what's this about? That's interesting. And they said, oh, Bill Podowski, our forklift driver, asked us to do that. Well, tell me more. Well, Bill came over, and he was a man who put a high premium on civility. He was, by nature, polite and respectful. And about a month after the beautiful, crisp green grids were put into place in the CNC cell where Sheila and Dorothy worked, Bill stopped by, Got a, he, he came across, he said, Hey, Sheila and Dorothy, would you mind if I kind of just cut across this green grid Instead of making that right angle turn, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't mind, the two women said, but but why would you want to do that? Well, he said, it's pretty hard for me to make a 90-degree angle with my forklift, 90-degree right angle turn with my forklift. I have to back up and uh, quite a few times and then kind of take an aim and go back but if I could just cut across the corner a little bit then I'd be okay and you know I heard about this and I realized that before the grids went down he just cut across the corner quite naturally it made sense and and so the two ladies say no 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 said no no problem go ahead and do it We'll we'll make sure not to put any pallets in that square. 
And Bill said, well, uh, well, uh, what's wrong, said Dorothy. Well, said Bill, I, I don't know. If people see me cutting across your beautiful green grid, they might not understand. They might think that I am disrespecting you, and I wouldn't want to do that in any case. I just couldn't. So Dorothy and Sheila thought and thought, and then they said, okay, we know how to handle this. We are going to make your cut across visual. We will simply make the cut across these yellow cut across lines. And so people will know that you are cutting across because it's a part of the functionality of this grid. Oh, boy. Bill said, thank you. That's what I want. And you know what happened? That's all that happened. That's all that happened. But I heard about it and I said, wait a minute. Let's call Bill in. This is my job, just to listen to the anomalies. Let's find out what else is troubling Bill. So he came in, and Dorothy and I and another fine gentleman, Sheila and Dorothy and Michael, we were listening. Bill, tell us what your worry is. What else would help you? Well, he was very shy to say so, but he finally said, you know what? It's really, really hard for my, me to turn my 12-foot, 7-inch forklift on any of these darn grids. And it's so hard to pick because I have to go, er, 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 This isn't even getting into the aisle. This is getting into the grid itself. And then when I back out, I have to back out by going, er, 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 er. Wow. What would help? And he said, well... This is only a dream, but what would help would be if we could maybe make the grid a slanty grid. A slanty grid. Instead of having those crisp, neat, right angles, what about if we had slanty borders, slanty angles? Bingo. Slanty borders. Slanty borders. And I know for the first time in the planet, this is 1997-98, slanty borders were invented in this plant and they've gone around the world. Slanty borders. So that Bill Podowski and the other forklift drivers in that plant could just go zip, 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 zip in, zip out. And off I go. If I'm picking or putting, zip, zip, and off I go, zip, zip, off. And the entire plant was converted to these fabulous slanted borders. But I want you to get, even though we were late in doing it, it was the thinking that created the change. It was the thinking. Now slanted borders are taken for granted. You lose a little bit of space, a little bit of floor footage due to the slant of the borders. But that's easily made up. By the safety, the time, the efficiency, the speed, slanty borders. Oh, I'm going to talk about it later on when we get into borders, but I'm going to describe to you what they did with their high whip, slanty borders and grids put together with beautiful person with borders. Wonderful visual thinking, wonderful smart placement. So what we want to do is find out what the natural flow is and not obstruct it. We want the range of the flow, and we want our smart placement to support it, because in a little while, we're going to nail that and make it visible, demonstrate our thinking through borders, through very, very visible, beautiful, functional borders. Okay? So, 
over these many, many shows, you've learned a great deal about smart placement and now it's 14 principles. And when we come back for, from our break, I want to talk to you about using those, making a change chart and, 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 and other things. I'll see you in just a minute. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, it's Gwendolyn. We're in the last part of our show today, which is meant to be the final part of our Smart Placement show, but I have some very important points to cover, and I don't know whether or not I'll be able to complete it. If not, I will pick it up in the next show. It'll just be the kind of tail end, but important tales, important pieces. You know, we have a great American thinker and poet whose name is Oliver was Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he said something that I think is very important that relates to the smart placement, if you'll bear with me. He says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Oliver Wendell Holmes, more than any other part of my 5S process, and I hope your 5S process, is more than any other part, the part that really creates thinkers of people is smart placement because we give them the map so they can see their what is state, the what is map, and we give them the other identical map so they can change it in a way that pleases them based on the principles of smart placement and the overriding formula of the location of function will give you the flow. And they will work that out and they will take out so many chunks of their own struggle as a result of the application of that formula and these principles and the use of those maps. So these principles are what we go through as people have the map in front of them. And I say to you, 
trainers and facilitators, coaches, take your time on this. Give people the time to do this thinking. They're going to be doing it in small groups of twos and threes. Even if you've got seven people in one department, let them split up. Because honestly, when you get five or six or eight people working together, you get the dominance hierarchy. And you don't get the subtlety of careful thinking. You get a, too much noise and not enough quality. It's just the nature of eight people become a crowd. And remember, before you teach this stuff, each principle, you go out as a trainer and a facilitator and a coach and you find it in the area you're asking other people to change. You don't wait for them to come up with it. Depending on their charm, their good looks and their power as individuals, that's just laziness. You know what that change will be. And if they are missing it or not getting anywhere, then you begin to coach. You ask questions. You know, hmm, I don't know. I just think there's something going on here. I don't know. There's something about this principle that I think really relates. Or as I've done, and I told you about it in one of the last, one of the recent shows, this group was just stuck. They were stuck with everything against the wall because the walls were there. And I said, you know what, I'll be back in about seven minutes and every single post-it that I see on this map needs to be in a different place. Just figure out how to do it. I gave them about ten minutes. And what they realized is that by getting away from the walls, they were suddenly using the center part of the room, the very rich part of the room where they really could create flow. Because as soon as you put everything against the walls, I mean, I could have a principle, principle 15, no walls or walls as a last resort. Then we begin to reconfigure the room based on function instead of on the dominant architecture of walls or even just the square that surrounds our work area, the aisles. It's a misconception. So you have to do this work, trainers and coaches and facilitators. You have to know the change that you want to create. And it may happen as good as or better than you had in mind without your stimulation whatsoever or even your attention. But you need to be ready in case people need to be prompted or coached or simply required to do it a new way. You want to use thinking to be a paradigm that breaks the thinking, the myths around thinking. And this is the exercise for thinking. This is the power within. This is the power of the imagination and the power to change the paradigm. Smart placement can be the most glorious step. And then the ownership becomes so deep of the workplace that when we put down robust borders and robust addresses, it seems simply an extension of the same logic, if you will, the same love, the same love of the thing itself. Remember Einstein told us, discipline is remembering what you love. You don't have to motivate it. You simply have to ignite it. Okay, we love our work. So what, we, what you want to do in developing these maps you ask people to identify the changes after they kind of fuss around and fiddle with, fiddle with the map and try out things. You ask them to identify the improvements that they want to make because right now no improvement has happened in the area. And they make what's called a change chart. They make a list. 
and they make a list. We usually do it simply by what's easy to do. Those are your easy to moves. What do you want to do with the whip? Those are your pinks. What about consumables? Those are your greens. And what about the hard to moves? Because we're going to let you consider it and you will make a presentation if you care to on those items. And you make these charts so people can organize their thinking and sometimes you ask them to, when do you think you could do it by? What are the special resources? What's the order? You can do things like that. And then you ask people to present. It is so worth it for you to ask people to present, to present their ideas. And they're presenting it to their peers, but they're also presenting it, hopefully, to the ranking side ex- uh, executive or someone very close to that. You have the, maybe you have maintenance in the room and the engineers and they're listening very receptively, very appreciatively and teams present. Now I have a particular way of having teams present. I always ask teams to stand together and I always ask them to rotate the presentation. And you know what? I just got a signal from my great tech uh, support person named Matt. And he's saying, I only have a minute left, so I'm not going to be able to complete it, but I will complete it in the next session. And then what we're going to be doing, so you have a kind of sense of where we're going next, is I am going through all of smart of uh, work that makes sense in quite a lot of detail. This is, even though we only used three or four shows to talk about 5S Last year, we are now going to telling detail. This will take us easily two months, if not three. And then we'll go into supervisory work. I might, you know, scatter it with some other things because um, you may be wanting to throw something at me with all this operator stuff. But I do like it moving in a sequence so that if you wanted to use it uh, for your own edification or your groups, it's all hanging together. Also, we're going to organize something on the home page of our Website with the names of all the shows and the links so that you'll have more of a sense of what's going on in the shows instead of the way they presented at iTunes, which is good, but we, uh, people have asked us to help them choose a little bit more. We'll put maybe our top ten favorites this year or whatever. I want to thank you very, very much for spending your time with us today and for hearing more about Smart Placement. I'm so excited about the changes that so many of you are making as a result of listening to this radio show and my sharing what I know. Thank you very, very much for being in touch. Please keep the emails going. Going my way, coming my way, you have no idea what a lift they give me. You cannot imagine. They're like news from the front. Uh, you know, I, I might be in my rocking chair or I might be on the front in the war with you, but those, um, those emails are, are lifelines for me. Thank you very much. I had a wonderful time with you today. We'll finish this up. We did pretty good. We did pretty good. We'll finish this up the next time and I look forward to it. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.